What Brings You In Today is produced by medical students at the University of Wisconsin. As medical students, we are not fully trained physicians or licensed to practice medicine. The information presented here is for entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, treatment, or education. To preserve privacy and maintain patient confidentiality, identifying details about patients were changed for this podcast. All opinions expressed belong to the speaker, not their institution or employer. Hi, I'm Angie. And I'm Haley. And this is What Brings You In Today, sharing stories and experiences from within the medical field. So tell me, what brings you in today? episode of our September series exploring student interests outside of medical school. In this episode, we chat with two student organizations at UWSMPH, Scrubs Addressing the Firearm Epidemic, also known as SAFE, and Pride in Healthcare. We talk about their work, why it's important to them, and how they balance it with medical education. joining us here today. We are super excited to talk with you about your organization. To start things off, can you introduce yourselves for our listeners? Yeah, uh, thank you so much for having us. My name is Caitlin, and I'm a second-year medical student, and uh, Morgan and I are the people that are starting this new organization. Yeah, and like Caitlin said, my name is Morgan, and I'm also an M2 working with Caitlin to start SAFE. Excellent. Well, welcome. Um, Can you just describe what your organization, SAFE, is? Yeah, so SAFE stands for Scrubs Addressing the Firearm Epidemic, and it is a nationwide organization that has chapters at a few medical schools across the country, uh, but there's no medical school chapters in Wisconsin. So it was brought to our attention that this was the case, and we decided to move forward with having SAFE at UWSMPH. And what we focus on doing is equipping future physicians and physicians with the education they need to be able to talk about firearms with their patients and how to safely store them, handle them, or how to handle firearms in a safe way when maybe someone's at risk for mental health crisis or things like that. That's awesome. And that sounds like that is so needed with regard to both the time and the place that we find ourselves in. Um, so it's super exciting that you guys are starting that. I know you said that it's a new organization. When did you guys start this and what have you done so far? Yeah, so this summer we both uh, were reached out to by one of mentors that we work with as part of different organizations. And 
Um, she reached out and sort of pitched the idea of starting this new organization and connected us with some national chapter members who told us about what SAFE was all about and um, how we would go about getting it started. So that happened in the middle of the summer. So it's it's very new, but we've had some meetings with them. Um, and right now we're in the process of starting to organize how we're going to plan our first meeting. Um, we hope that this semester we can start by inviting speakers from across the nation who are experts in gun violence and uh, protecting patients from having firearms in their home. And we also hope to start going through the curriculum that SAFE provides, which sort of talks about how as a medical student and eventually as a physician, you can talk to patients about having guns in their home. That sounds great. How did you individually become like personally interested in this initiative? Gun violence is something, you know, I have relatives, family members, friends who have been victims of gun violence. And um, I think, you know, it's something that touches a lot of people's lives. Um, um, and it's known that firearms increase the risk of homicide and suicide um, by having just a gun in your home. And I think that, you know, it's something that we haven't been taught at all yet in a year in medical school so far. Um, it's possible that at some point they uh, approach the subject, but I think it's really important. And I think being able to discuss that with patients could go a long way because a doctor really is somebody that um, you trust and you could have those conversations with at preventative care visits. Yeah, I am in the Wisconsin Academy for Rural Medicine, and I am super interested in preventative medicine as well. And so I think it's really important to start talking about the prevalence of guns and really having that conversation at the forefront of not only office visits and your career as a physician, but also the forefront of medical education. And so while we don't necessarily receive that yet in the curriculum, it would be great to have some introductory exposure for students so that they feel readily equipped to be able to talk about firearm and firearm safety. Yeah, like what, what I guess what kind of initiatives would you guys love to see the med school incorporate in terms of like either phase one or phase two curriculum involving gun safety? Stand Safe actually has a curriculum that they're hoping to start integrating into actual medical school curriculums. And of course, that's a long process, especially, you know, nationwide. That's a lot to add. But the goal, I think, would be to start having those conversations in clinical skills um, in that first phase of learning um, for us a year and a half, but for other schools might be two years. But I think it's important that you know how to approach those subjects and have those discussions. And I think it's also something that should be mentioned in lectures where, you know, you talk about suicide or homicide. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, Caitlin. And I also agree that it should be brought up early. And I think it needs to be introduced in a way that's more than just, you know, how do you have guns in your home? How do you store your guns? Things like that. It needs to be the education to be able to provide patients with the support they need after they answer those questions and to also help explain to patients why you're asking that question in the first place with things like Caitlin said earlier, like the fact that just having a gun in the home increases risk of suicide and homicide and that kind of what benefits and risks are of having firearms in the home and how we as physicians can help play a role, like I said earlier, in cases where people have 
crises where they have maybe a danger with the firearm. Yeah, and I I just want to echo off what uh, Morgan said because I think that's super super important. As someone who came from the East Coast to Wisconsin, hearing classmates talk about just having guns at home or going hunting even was super super unfamiliar to me, and in some ways a little bit scary too. So I think just talking about it in a way that normalizes it and like you guys said, like talks about the pros as well and said, oh, like guns are bad and and are are dangerous which in in some some ways they can be so i think just having those conversations that are not part of a checklist like morgan said where you like can memorize it and then like say it but then not really know how to follow up in a more genuine and, and meaningful way totally and i feel like you guys have done a really excellent job of sort of answering this next question already but for the sake of being explicit you know, I think that everyone here in this room right now appreciates the importance of what you're doing and wholeheartedly agrees. I'd like to hear your thoughts on, number one, why this sort of work is important in a broad sense, as well as why it's important for you personally to be doing while you're in medical school. Yeah, I think one thing um, to be cl- super clear about, too, is that SAFE has no political affiliation and we are not allowed to have any like political views integrated into our our structure besides the fact that we are statistically based behind the fact that having firearms in the home can be dangerous and that the number one mode of suicide is by firearm. And so, you know, trying to be able to mitigate the risks for our patients in a preventative way is super important for me, big picture wise, I think it is, it's easy to think about some of the environmental exposures or the healthy eating and the exercise and all the typical uh, socio or economic factors that we might talk about. But I think this one's just not talked about it as much. And to be able to bring that to the plate along with the others is super important so that we're able to detect cases where people are passing or either from gun violence or death by suicide and that could have been prevented. Um, And I think personally I'm motivated to do it because I came from a small town where guns were super prevalent in people's homes. And I was fortunate to be raised in a house where they were always locked away and I never knew the lock or the combination to get into the safe, but I know that wasn't the typical case for a lot of people. And most parents would say that their kids don't know the lock or the combination, but they really do, um, or they know where to find it. So I think it's really important too for the cases that I grew up in to realize that, you know, maybe my scenario that I was raised in is not the typical case. Yeah. Um, to not reiterate a lot of that, cause I, agree with a lot of what Morgan spoke to. But I think, you know, broadly, people are going to own guns. We live in the United States. That's a fact. And I think that it's important that as a doctor, you're aware of the fact that your patient has guns and what risks come along with that. So, you know, if a patient is in an acute mental health crisis and you know that they have access to a firearm it's important to be able to have that conversation and express that their risk of harm to themselves is much higher than their risk if they did not own a gun. And I think being able to have those conversations in a 
non-judgmental, non-political way, not saying, you know, you shouldn't have a firearm, but instead saying, here's how you can keep yourself, your family, your kids safe um, is really important. And like Morgan had said, I think people underestimate how much their kids know about guns and how to use them and the rules behind safety. And I also think that knowing that even as a pediatrician and talking to kids about that is really important. And I don't think that that really happens. And um, I think it's something that physicians should move in the direction of starting to incorporate. Personally, I'm invested in this topic and I hope that you know, eventually we're going to have to turn this over to the incoming first year class. And I'm hoping that we can get the ball rolling and get people excited about talking and having these conversations and going through that curriculum and then pass it on and have that continue and hopefully be incorporated at UW in the future. Yeah. And I think one thing that's important that we haven't really touched on too much yet, but maybe a little bit alluded to was the fact that a lot of or a portion of what SAFE is about is also learning about the state legislature that allows um, and permits certain procedures in the cases when someone is in a crisis or is in danger by someone else who is in a crisis. And those laws do vary from state to state and are really hard to interpret and decipher and to even find, especially for someone who's not really well-versed in the law side of the world. So just being able to provide physicians with the most up-to-date and current information about what they can do more in like a legal way is super important. For example, some states have laws that allow a temporary removal of firearms from the home of the patient if the doctor feels that they're in a near catastrophe. So what they try to do is they will detain the firearms for 72 hours before a court order has to be made for that. So I think there's little things like that that we don't always necessarily get equipped with and can be seriously life-changing. So I think it's really important for us to have that knowledge so that we can truly save a life or two. To both of your points, I, as someone who's interested in going into pediatrics, I've spent a lot of time in outpatient and inpatient pediatric settings, and I've never once seen firearms talked about. I also have never once brought it up. I totally agree. That's like a super important area of need. Yeah. No, I agree with that too. Like I've never heard, we've had like like the sex talk, the drugs talk, but like not any like weapons talk or like any, like anything that could potentially um, incite violence or bring upon violence. So I think that was really important, at least for me to hear right now. And then just looking forward, what are you both looking forward to with this organization growing it in the future? You know, ultimately for me, I think it's just even educating one person enough to be able to provide a patient with the skill sets or the services they need to save their life one day would be enough (laughs) to cause fulfillment for me. I think, you know, our SAFE definitely has probably done that already as a national organization, but I think it it would be feasible to say that having that education even here at UWSMPH could save a life someday. Yeah, I think uh, especially being in Wisconsin, which, you know, is mostly rural, there's a huge need to have these conversations with patients. And I hope that as an organization, we can start getting people to think about how they might have that conversation with a patient 
And hopefully, you know, with the WARM program and even those outward rotations, people are able to have those conversations in areas where it's more likely that patients have guns in their home. And I hope that we can just, you know, get a solid foundation under at EWSMPH and build upon that in future years as we pass it forward. Those are great answers. I'm going to ask something a little bit more controversial now. What do you say to folks who say that, you know, this sort of work is outside the scope of medical education and that you're going to school to like learn how to be a doctor and doing this stuff is like taking away from that education. This isn't something that med students should be doing. What is your answer? I definitely disagree that it's outside of the scope of medical education. You know, when you think about things like drugs and alcohol and smoking, I mean, you could argue that those things are personal choices that people have in their lives that, you know, has nothing to do with medicine. But we also know that those are huge risk factors for adverse health outcomes. Um, You know, a lot of, you know, smoking is more lung cancer, but even things like addiction can be tied into mental health. And I think gun violence really is integral in understanding about your patient, building a connection with them, and also for mental health. You know, when somebody's in a crisis, it is vital that you understand what sort of tools they have around them, what sort of weapons, because that does increase their risk of suicide or homicide. And that is a health concern. And it's, it is public health and it is preventative health to talk about guns and to incorporate it into medical education. I agree totally. That was so well stated. I also agree that, you know, it it's inherently a part of medicine. I would challenge somebody who asks that to kind of have them think about who else they would share that more personal piece of information with that they have a gun in their household. And I would presume that most people would say families, family members, close friends, things like that. I think that there are a lot of things that patients talk to physicians about that aren't necessarily health-centered or like the classical health science-centered way Caitlin was talking about. Like addiction isn't something that's seen as like traditional science, traditional medicine, but it's something inherent to being a physician. And I think part of being in a doctor's office comes with an inherent vulnerability that you share things with a physician that wouldn't necessarily be shared with anyone else. Um, And so I think having those conversations in those vulnerable spaces where uh, physicians do their best to really welcome those vulnerabilities is really important because I would argue that there's not really a platform to share such personal facts and There's not really good places for people to offer resources to those people either. Those were excellent answers. Very astute observations and very well thought out. We usually like to end with just an open question or open invitation for both of you to share any final last thoughts. I think with SAFE being a new organization, we're happy to hear from anyone, M1 through M4, faculty, staff, who are interested in helping us build our platform, like Caitlin said, so we can move forward on a solid foundation. Anyone who has 
particular resources with trauma-based care or domestic violence or um, even gun safety and gun violence is going to be a wonderful asset to us as we move forward. And we've already had a few students reach out to us who have some experience in the field and have given us some really great resources. So we really appreciate people like that who are willing to share what they know um, so that we can share that to people who don't know. Sounds good. Thank you guys both for being on today and talking to us about your organization. It sounds like it's super important work and we're both glad that it's here at UW now. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited to talk to you today. Uh, I'm going to have you start just by introducing yourself and your current role. Anytime. Uh, My name's Andrew Norton. I use he, him pronouns. I'm a second year medical student at UWSMPH, and I am currently one of the leads on Pride in Healthcare. Yeah, so that, of course, is what we're here to talk about is your student organization that you lead, Pride in Healthcare. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit more information about, you know, what Pride in Healthcare, first of all, what the acronym stands for, but also what the student organization does. Pride in Healthcare stands for Promoting Recognition of Identity, Dignity, and Equity in Healthcare, and the goal of our organization is to improve the conditions of healthcare for lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, and other sexual orientations and or gender identity minorities, so LGBTQ plus individuals. And we aim to do this by increasing the quality and quantity of LGBTQ plus content in the medical education here at UWSMPH, uh, raising awareness of LGBTQ plus health disparities and their causes, cooperating with professional and community members to eliminate these disparities, and to provide a social forum for LGBTQ plus individuals and allies within the profession of healthcare. And we usually do this through a variety of events. Like I said, I'm just one person on the Pride in Healthcare board for this year. Historically, what I've done is I like to put on noon talks. So we recently actually just put on a prep in U equals U noon talk since the M2s are currently in our infectious disease unit. And it was just a way to incorporate the curriculum that we currently have, but have more updated and information presented so that individuals are able to get the most recent medical education that they possibly can. Some like events we've had in the past and that we're having in the future is that um, UWSMPH actually coordinates with the nursing school and a few other of the professional schools here at UW. And we put on an LGBTQ plus health summit. And that's just a way for individuals to hear different LGBTQ plus voices and then allies and individuals within each profession and how they're interacting with students. And then also within their profession to promote and help individuals in the LGBTQ plus committee. Wow. That was such an excellent answer. Um, I love how many different sorts of things you do, you know, some like really education focused things, as well as some things that just sound like fun, you know, 
opportunities to connect with other medical and health profession students. So thank you so much for that really thorough answer. I'm curious, how did you personally get involved with this student organization? Yeah, so I personally identify as bi. So one of my things throughout undergrad was like trying to figure out my sexuality. And I feel like a lot of people don't realize how difficult that can be based on like where they're from, what their family dynamic is when they're growing up, like the expectation that society also places on us. Because I feel like there's a lot of fear in being an LGBTQ plus person within the medical field, because there's a lot of stigma still, even with all the great education that we are receiving, there's a lot of steps that we still need to take. So I made a conscious decision during my gap years that when I got into medical school, that I would need to step up and showcase my personality and the fact that I am a bi individual so that I can help and represent those within the community that may still have that fear and may still be going through that process of figuring out who they are um, so that they feel welcome within the medical field and within the medical school and see that someone in the community is in leadership positions and is like trying to make improvements and things. So that's kind of how I got involved with the organization is that it was more of a deliberate effort on my part to showcase that LGBTQ plus people can hold positions of power. Totally. That, you know, again, such a great answer. I very firmly believe that we are able to be the best doctors that we can be and take the best care of people when we're able to bring all of ourselves to medicine, whatever, all of those things that you want to bring are. So I really like that you that you incorporated that in your answer. You touched on uh, some of these points for the sake of asking explicitly. Tell me about why this is an important organization. Why is this important work to do both for yourself personally, but as well as in a broader sense? I'll start with personally. So personally, So I grew up in Southeast Missouri, which is very, very, very conservative. And it's also very, very Christian. So some people that I've talked to in the LGBTQ plus community, we say it's like a pray the gay away phase. So I think it's really powerful to move away from that and reflect on that, but then also understand that there are still individuals going through that experience and Personally, for me, I feel like it's empowering to say, like, to publicly say, like, oh, I went through that phase and I lived in that environment. But throughout the years, I've been able to accept my identities and move forward with them and then now have the opportunity to use that identity that I once hid and repressed and, like, hated about myself to promote inclusion. With I feel like that's a really powerful thing to recognize. And I really hope that others see the individuals that are within the LGBTQ plus community in the school and recognize that when they speak out and when they're doing things, they're really trying to do it with the intention 
of including everybody because like I personally believe if we can make change that accepts marginalized communities, then we're actually making change that's going to benefit everybody within the system. And then from a more broad sense of why pride in healthcare is important, I think it's becoming very apparent on a national level why pride in healthcare is important. Just yesterday, we got an email from Dean Golden talking about how the gender-affirming healthcare group at UWSMPH currently has a Twitter campaign against them and looking in just areas slightly out of mass and their schools that are basically outlawing pride discussions and then also Black Lives Matter discussions. And then just on like a national level, there's a huge attack on the trans population. In Texas, there's currently like a judge overturned the Affordable Care Act's um, clause that made insurance required to cover PrEP coverage, which is a medication that helps prevents HIV infections, which tend to be highest in men who have sex with men in the United States. So I think there's a lot of political pressure from certain political groups to move back to this phase in American history where LGBTQ plus people are not accepted. And so having a student organization within a medical school, within a very Republican state where these attacks are constantly happening, I think is really powerful and important because if we don't have a place to come together and organize and express our voice and then also work with within the medical school and the medical community to push for precautions and procedures and different education opportunities to educate people on what actual like LGBTQ plus issues are. I think it just allows for a platform to like actually assist the patients that we're going to be seeing in the future, because I think sometimes we get wrapped up in the medical school thing and that we forget that at some point we're going to have to leave like where we currently are and we don't know where we're going to end up to. And just having that knowledge and having the information and then seeing LGBTQ plus individuals in leadership positions, I think kind of removes some of the stigma that continues to be within the field of health. Totally. I, I couldn't agree more with everything that you said. Um, um, but to your point about like why this is important for you personally, I like that story that you shared really resonates with me. I feel like I had a very similar experience. Uh, I also identify as bi and I grew up in rural Wisconsin where it was, there weren't really any, LGBTQ adults that I saw or knew personally. So I didn't really know that that was like a thing that someone could be. And I was like, well, I definitely like boys. So like, I must be straight. And like, I don't know what to do with these feelings about girls. And that was very confusing for me. And it, but I remember getting to college and sort of like figuring that out and being like, wow, like 
there was actually like a decent amount of like harm that could have been avoided both on like a personal and an interpersonal level. If I had number one, better human growth and development education, uh, but also just like access to a more diverse and representative group of adults and authority figures in my life. Um, and also thank you for sharing that. I know that that's, uh, you know, a very personal thing to share on a podcast and put that out onto the internet. So thank you. I, I'm very grateful that you shared that, that story with us. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for sharing your story. I feel like even within each individual LGBTQ plus community, there's like specific aspects that are just so different and like there's different struggles. And I feel like saying it out loud sometimes is a powerful thing because other people are like, oh yeah, that's a shared experience that I've had. And I think that's a lot of, there's a lot of power in telling stories, even though it can be very vulnerable to do that. Something that I've been thinking a lot about because my preceptor brought it up to me is um, a lot of patients are really vulnerable with us. And I think sometimes healthcare providers kind of like for try to forget about it. But I think sometimes we forget that we also have to be vulnerable. So I've been trying to make a concerted effort to be vulnerable when I can. Totally. I feel like there's a lot of talk of relationship building and how to establish that trust with patients. And a lot of times it's easy to forget that relationships are a two-way street and <laughs> asking a patient to be, you know, really vulnerable with you, uh, both in terms of like sharing information, but also like giving you access to their body. And I feel like it, it's often sort of neglected in formal like educational settings, how to actually practice that. So I think you're totally right. This is like a really a really good way to build that trust and that relationship. How do you integrate your role in Pride in Healthcare with other parts as being like an MD PhD student? Do you how do you bring it to the medical sphere? I think that's something I really like I actually give a lot of thought to. And I'm usually I'm just this very chaotic individual who takes on like a thousand roles and never really learns how to integrate them. And I think I've been really more intentional about trying to integrate things in medical school and somehow it's just worked out really well. So I have multiple positions on the American Medical Association through the medical student section. And then I also sit on multiple um, positions in the Wisconsin Medical Society, both the society itself and then also the medical student section. And it's given me a lot of opportunities to talk to individuals who are within the LGBTQ plus community um, and that are leaders in medicine. So currently our AMA president elect is um, a gay man who currently lives in Milwaukee. So it's one of those things like that's a really powerful thing to like interact with him and like see that leadership and see how that path goes. But then like on a personal scale, taking a step back from my interactions with him and being like, how can I incorporate this? So currently 
we have through the AMA Medical Student Section and then also through our Wisconsin Medical Society Medical Student Section, we've been working on like abortion care policies and stuff because of Wisconsin. And then I think a lot of people don't realize that that includes LGBTQ plus individuals. So like bringing that, like those data points and like that conversation within something that a lot of people may not realize is a huge part of that is something I've been currently actively doing. And then currently we're in this weird process of trying to organize and write policy. I'm really interested in like sexual education in the United States, which is baffling to me sometimes when I think about it, because like only 12 states require scientifically accurate content for sexual education, but they're not required to teach sexual education. So it's really weird to me that something that affects health on such a grand scheme level has been quote unquote left to the family to teach. And then that's not even scientifically accurate when it is taught. So in like LGBTQ plus things fall under that umbrella, but there's a lot of non LGBTQ plus things that fall underneath that umbrella. So I think I've learned how to incorporate my identities into the things that I'm doing within the medical school and then on a more national level. So I've made more of a effort during medical school to incorporate organizations and things I'm doing into things I'm passionate about. But then I know that if they get done and if they're being done, we'll hopefully help other people on a grander scale. Yeah. I like how you describe the different spheres of our, like our community medical school, but then like going on a national level. So that was kind of cool. I can, in my mind, just picturing like that sphere, like graphic as you were, as you were talking. So that's really cool. So bringing this back to pride and healthcare as an organization, tell me about some things that you and the other student leaders are excited about for the organization going forward. Yeah, with COVID happening, um, it was kind of weird because like my year of medical school, it was right when COVID, we were transitioning out of all those precautions and everything. So we unfortunately landed in this very odd situation where we've lost a lot of generational knowledge. Pride and Healthcare over the last year, I think we've been really working to reestablish what we were before COVID and then also try to make changes to move things forward so that we're continually updating ourselves and then also incorporating different individuals into our organization. And to that effect, um, some things we're excited about is currently um, the Pride in Healthcare organization and LGBTQ plus individuals actually fall under the OMA offices umbrella. Right now, there's really no like LGBTQ plus anything in that office. So we're working with some of the deans and individuals in the student admin office to like make it more of an inclusive space for LGBTQ plus people. I think that's really exciting. We're also currently working with AMSA, which is an undergrad student group 
from um, individuals looking to be medical students. And they want us to like start a mentorship program or just have a panel or something so that individuals in undergrad can physically see and ask people within the community questions. And I think that's a really important thing because I know like I really never talked to an individual within the community that was in medical school or that was even in a PhD or in grad school. So hopefully that can lessen some of their fears and then also answer any questions they have for us. And then also kind of how all the student organizations work at SMPH is we're going to start the process of turning things over soon. So that's kind of exciting because we've met a lot of the M1s who are interested in taking on our leadership roles. So it's kind of an opportunity to reevaluate what we've done in the year and then also give them suggestions and then also support them when they take over our role. And then something really fun that I really hope continues throughout the years is that with us being in Masson in Mass and not really having their own pride, Milwaukee does have a pride. So just organizing as a group to go to pride together for like a more social thing. Cause I feel like a lot of times uh, medical student organizations, we focus more on the medical side of things, but we forget to interact on a one-to-one basis. So I hope that the next leadership team is able to continue that and organize that moving forward. Wow. Those are really wonderful things to be excited about. I'm like also very excited for you guys. So the last question that I have like prepared, last question I want to ask you is, what do you say to folks out there who say that, you know, gosh, medical school is so busy. There's so much medicine and science content that you have to learn. And there's so much responsibility that you're going to be saddled with when you graduate that this sort of work is outside of the scope of medical education, that this isn't something that medical students should be spending time and energy on. How do you respond to that sort of argument? I would say it kind of goes along with something I said earlier, and that's when we make an effort to include those who have been historically excluded within healthcare and within the healthcare community, we're making the environment better for everybody. And that's something I learned in undergrad and that I've really taken to heart um, because we're always going to be interacting with people in the LGBTQ plus community, whether that be people who are out or people that are not out. And I think when we make an effort to understand where they could be coming from and the struggles that they could be going through, we're not only able to provide better healthcare to them, but we're also in a position to make a real connection with those individuals. And I feel like that's what healthcare really is about is making connections and building relationships with a wide host of individuals. So I really think pride in healthcare situates themselves in order to help facilitate that. And then also making sure that within our medical education, that we receive that education, 
because sometimes if we don't receive the education, it's put on individuals to learn. And it's kind of interesting because I have, I hold a few other um, positions in student organizations where I interact with individuals who are older, who don't have the opportunity to receive the education that we have. And it seems that a lot of the comments that they say surrounding LGBTQ plus individuals can be incredibly harmful, but where it's coming from isn't a place of hatred. And I think a lot of people confuse that with the fact that they just don't haven't received any education. And I think it's really powerful just to receive that education and then to be in a position to where we can help support the education that's going to be happening, but then also support individuals who are going through that education process. Totally. That was a wonderful answer. We always end our interviews with just sort of opening the floor for our guests to share any final thoughts or final messages. So if you have any final things that you'd like to leave our listeners with, I invite you to do that now. The floor is yours. Yeah. Well, I just want to like first thank you both for allowing me to speak. I feel like there's a lot of opportunities within the medical school to talk, but there's not a lot of opportunities to talk outside of the medical school as a medical student. So I really appreciate you all having this platform and then asking like me to interview for pride and healthcare and then also interviewing with other um, student orgs. I think that's a really great opportunity. And then it also gives us an experience that we may not have otherwise. And then just for like closing statements, like I said, pride and healthcare has, we have like a six person leadership team and we each kind of take on different roles within our organization and take on different efforts. Um, so everything I said today was more from my viewpoint, but if you talk to any of the other five leaders that are in our organization, they may have a different response or like a different modification. So I would really encourage individuals that may want a different perspective on things or aren't that familiar with LGBTQ plus matters to reach out to someone that is within the community so that they can learn. Because I feel like, like I said earlier, a lot of things I feel like come from not a place of anger or hatred. It's more of just, we don't get education on a lot of things. Growing up in public schools, you really don't learn about LGBTQ plus things. So you kind of work through it yourself. And I feel like if we just reached out to individuals within communities that we don't understand and hear the stories that they have to share, that can go a long way because then we're able to carry that story that they told us when we're going and interacting with other individuals in the world. So I just encourage people to engage in communities that they may not identify with and learn from them and hear their stories. SAFE and Pride in Healthcare are just two of many student orgs at UWSMPH. 
To check out what other medical students are doing here, be sure to look at a full list of student orgs on the website, www.uwsmphmedstudents.com slash works. See you again in two weeks when we kick off spooky season by talking about fear in medicine.